Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to our referendum is underway, so join us as we discuss how together we can build a fairer, a more equal and a more prosperous Scotland. Our goal is to ensure that our listeners are informed, that they're encouraged to get involved and will hopefully inspire others to think about the possibilities for Scotland. The past few years have only served to highlight what allowing Westminster to make choices for us is like. So let's make the choices we want for our families and our communities right here in Scotland. I'm your host, Drew Hendry MP. Now let's find out who's joining me on Scotland's Choice today. Hello, I'm Linda Graham from Broadcasting Scotland and was founded back in 2014 in response to the need for a better uh, broadcaster. And we founded as Referendum TV to do a live coverage of the referendum. And we've been going since then. Hello, I'm Jack Patterson, and I am editor of Independence Magazine, the SNP National Magazine. I uh, kind of get with the SNP, I can say I've got two hats to wear. I joined the SNP, uh, dare I say it, in 1974, uh, which was a completely different organisation then to the professional, streamlined, a uh, large organisation it is now, and uh, I run up my own graphics business, I've done since 1982, uh, Salt Graphics. Um, previously, we produced Snapshot, I don't know if you remember it, Drew, a newsletter for the party with people like, uh, or good people like Roger Mullen uh, involved in it. But the big issue that they had at the time was being part of political, was finding a way to fund it and keep it going. Uh, so that, uh, of course, was when the membership was much smaller. Uh, so together with Peter Murrell, Jim Henderson and Bill Carroll, who's now the Lord Provost of Dundee, uh, we put together uh, a plan for Independence magazine, launched it as a bi-monthly in 2010. Uh, the model worked and, uh, you know, I'm talking to you, editor of Independence magazine, and it's a, it's like a full-time job in itself. Really. It's one of the main reasons I'm still working, really. Hello, I'm Ruth Watson. Uh, among my many activities, I am the media officer for the National Yes Network. It's one of these delightfully anarchic creations which has grown up out of the independence movement. Uh, so the National Yes Network is uh, like a, a loose coalition of yes groups from across Scotland. And we work together to amplify actions and to connect indie groups. And nobody's the boss. Uh, I don't think anybody could be the boss of us. So what we do is we meet regularly to let folk know what we're up to, what different groups are doing, um, so working together with different groups, perhaps within our areas or connecting groups that might have lots in common, like perhaps from the southwest of Scotland and, and you know, some of the island communities that perhaps have got lots in common for coming together with ideas on on leaflets or you know, well, what did you do? What worked for you guys? So it's really about amplifying yes in a way which is mm. positive. And it works in small ways too. So, for example, I'm part of Yes Kerry Muir, and we've got a loose coalition with Yes Angus. So all the groups in Angus, we've got a group chat. We've got a couple of groups in Fife, in Dundee, and in Perthshire. Um, that so it kind of like creates a Venn diagram. Mm of indie groups and we can support each other. So um, there's a Believe in Scotland campaign at the moment that's, that's launching and uh, Yes Kerry and Le Yes Blair Gowrie are going to go in together on some leaflets and we get them for a lower price. And, you know, so it's just kind of, you know, we, we Yes Kerry had our day of action on Saturday um, 
and we had folk from Forfar and Dundee coming up to support us. And you know, so it's just kind of it's connecting and and amplifying. And because I'm a journalist and and sometimes perhaps um, I'm, I'm known to um, get behind actions, uh, I was asked if I would do the uh, do, to handle the media. So it would be the point of contact for the media. Right. So. My technical title is the media officer, which makes it sound very grand. It's basically um, people just send me folk if they get media requests oh, and I handle them with, with, with grace and aplomb, obviously. <laughs> well, uh, thanks to all of you for joining us on Scotland's Choice today. I want to start off with uh, a contentious issue. A lot of people had very strong views about the media during the run-up to the 2014 referendum. The BBC and other broadcasters and media outlets uh, faced allegations of bias in favour of the status quo, the UK and the Union, uh, with the BBC even admitting after the event that they fell short of uh, expectations, or at least their own expectations. How do we ensure new broadcast media accurately reflects the views of the Scottish population in an accurate fashion? And I'll come to you first with that, Linda. Well, we've got this belief that if we do fear imbalance, fear imbalance is all it needs. We started... You know, when we did a referendum TV, we had guests from both sides of the argument. We had coverage of a range of things. Now, BBC were not doing the job they should have been doing. They, they have an inbuilt inability to do neutrality. They've got a stopwatch, which is everything gets the same time or every participant. But when you maybe have one SNP uh, representative on and then a Lib Dem, a Labour and a Tory, you know, there was an inbuilt imbalance in their system and they just seemed to multiply it in so many ways. And when the arguments came, they would always resolve, start with a negative, go down, reinforce the negative, move to the rebuttal from an SNP or Scottish government or yes, representative, and then finish back with the reinforcement of the negative. Mm -hmm. And that's been the pattern and it still is the pattern of how they report things. Mm -hmm. And was that is that your feeling, uh, Ruth, that um, this is just kind of an inbuilt issue that is just there in the way that that's set up? Well, one of the reasons I became as actively involved in the independence movement as I am is because I'm a news and current affairs journalist and I worked with the BBC. I was trained with the BBC back in the 80s and, and worked with them back in the, the 90s, uh, right through up until the year 2000 uh, when... Um, I ended up uh, moving overseas shortly afterwards. And I, I wasn't here for the referendum in 2014, but one of my former mentors was sending me information and, and recordings and clips over because we were getting the World Service. I was living in Australia at the time and the World Service was actually doing a pretty good job of reporting it. So I was hearing all these claims of bias and thought, well, that's not so because I can, you know, it looks pretty fair from where I'm sitting. And when I heard what was coming out of, of the media in the UK, I was really, really shocked. And subsequently, I, I moved back in 2015. And that was when I thought I have to get involved in the Yes movement. Because people who helped train me, people who trained me in editorial standards, I was listening to their output and going, that's just not right. You know, I would watch the original source. I'd be watching perhaps, you know, the, the Scottish Parliament. I would be seeing the original source, the original debate and happening live and then I would watch the news report afterwards and it was completely different to any kind of journalism any kind of report or broadcast I would have put out I used to be a producer and and, and some I used to produce some of the programs um, that would come out of the news and current affairs departments and and those programs would never have passed muster mm -hmm. and and I know that those people who are making those programs know that 
because they trained me to be better than that. So something fundamental has happened. And to me, that's of serious concern. And the more that I see of the UK government's increasingly didactic way of controlling media and output, it I'm seriously concerned. Because the reason I got into journalism is because I think that a healthy democracy requires honest journalism. Mm. And I think the fact that we are no longer seeing honest journalism means that democracy is in real trouble. So I think that Scotland's Scotland's media and I'm very wary of citizen journalism because I think citizen journalism has a lot going for it, but it's not necessarily being held. Um, it perhaps doesn't understand, for example, Scots Law for Journalists. It perhaps mm-hmm. doesn't understand the need to be respectful and there's a lot that we could be learning. However, I do think that there's a big role for citizen journalism if it is done properly. Mm. And I think that the likes of Byline uh, Scotland and Broadcasting Scotland, Independence Live, Caledon Radio, I think that they're doing a really, really important job of bringing us new voices. But the thing I would say is that we have to try and keep the standard high because we have to be better. A modern Scotland, a new Scotland, has to be better than what we're seeing coming out of media, which is basically controlled from London. And Jack, what are your thoughts on that issue? Like, I think that last answer was spot on. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel let down. But, well, I, let's not just pick on the BBC here, but <laughs> that, that's what this would be. Um, there's rules about impartiality and accuracy, you know, uh, and in a perfect world, I suppose suppose that it'd be great if people, in order to hold them to account, would make themselves aware of these things. But the public don't do that, and you know, I've certainly never done it. Uh, you could cut out a lot of the time. I mean, a lot of the complaints you you see about the BBC in particular. Let's not kid ourselves; they're not going to go very far. Um, but you've got to watch. I mean, the way that you broadcast media and printed media. Uh, conducts itself, obviously. It's got to do so with an air of freedom. That's all well and good. Um, and I'd love for Scotland to have a, a domestic national media set up with press, printed media, all the ownerships outside of the country. Uh, I think that thousands and thousands of undecided voters, millions, uh, certainly thousands, uh, soft, vote, uh, soft no voters, soft yes voters are obviously going to be watching the BBC's output in particular. Um, and uh, we have to make our message absolutely clear, but we need to make our message clear to the media as well that we expect them uh, having, you know, a very important part to play in the entire debate. Um, we need to insist that the that their standards are as high as possible. How do you do that? I don't know, because at times, Ruth put her finger on it, and it's almost so blatant. Uh, that they know they can get away with it. And I, I for one, still a licensed pair, feel absolutely let down with the BBC. I, mean, I, I don't watch the BBC very much. They're very good at some things. They used to be very good at news. I'm not so sure they are now. Uh, and then if we complain what happens next to nothing, and it's just, I think we're just going to have to live with the damage, uh, complain and then watch as the complaints are ignored. I think that's where we're going to end up, to be honest. But you have, I mean, to me, I think that it is... This is an intentional thing. The journalists who are behaving the way that they are often do so because they know what their career is on the line. 
I think that there yes. has been an intentional, there has been an intentional dedication of journalism in Scotland because people know that there's nowhere else for them to go. If you want to have a career in TV journalism, you've got two potential outlets that are yeah. going to pay you money. You know, you've got people like Linda who are doing an amazing job, but there's no money in it yet. Mm -hmm. I have former colleagues who are doing the same job that they were doing in 1994. They're doing the same job. There's nowhere else for them to go because, you know, you've got you've got Warp Productions, you've got two or three other places, but actually a lot of the jobs that are happening, you know, there's this remit, for example, with the BBC, there's this remit that they have to have a certain amount of production being done within, within Scotland. What happens is you get teams being sent up from London to make those programmes. They come and make them in Scotland and then go back down again. So the work, the career progression isn't there. If you've got somebody with a mortgage and kids to feed, and they're being told, this is the line that you have to tow, mm. then that line is what's towed. If you look at what's happened to our print media in the last 20 or 30 years, trying to get a hold of somebody at my local paper is almost impossible. I actually, because I'm a good researcher, I ended up going through the advertising route to somebody in, a, in an office in Yorkshire who managed to find me a phone number for a journalist in, in my local town. Mm. Because because the local print media is everything now is being centralised, and to me that is a massive massive flaw. It's very easy for me to blame Rupert Murdoch for many things that I do because I think the man has has damaged democracy on an international scale. But I think that in in a in a future Scotland, when we get our Scottish independence, despite the media being stacked against us, which it is because it is maintaining the status quo. When we get an independent Scotland, for me, one of the most important things is for us to put in place uh, a media which can be trusted, a media which people can see mm -hmm. can be trusted. And that's going to take quite a lot of work. But some of, the, some of the issues that we need to address are ownership of the media and, and bringing local media back into communities because that is how you build trust. Some of the best journalists that I've met, the most honest journalists that I've met are was when I was working in Orkney and Shetland. And you're living within that community. You walk down the street in, in the afternoon or the morning, you're going to see the people that you've been reporting on in the stories. That keeps your journalism honest. So I think if we get back to local journalism, which is genuinely rooted in community, then we can build a national journalism that people will trust. And that's really essential for democracy. Well, Linda, you've, um, you've, set up broadcasting Scotland. You must have been looking at the options available to the public as it stands within the within Scotland, within the UK, and felt that there was a need to get uh, a different approach uh, with broadcasting Scotland. It, it, is, it, is it fair that that was born out of uh, frustration or was this something that you'd planned to do anyway? I must admit the frustration is still with me. It's enormous. You know, we have a business plan. We are fully costed. We can we are ready to go. We have technical capacity right now mm -hmm. to to do anything that Sky News can do or anyone can do if we had the people. The thing that we, you know, Ofcom licenses are available. Mm -hmm. You just need to apply. It takes money. Mm -hmm. But the, in the end, you have this situation. I You hear all the time, we need to wait till we are. We don't need to wait. We need to find the funding mm -hmm. because the funding, with the funding in place, we can employ the staff. You know, I'm I want to be in a position to employ 40 full-time staff. I'll take 20. I'll take whatever I can get. 
But the fact is, if we have the staff, we can produce the programs. Mm -hmm. If we produce the programs, you know, we can apply to Ofcom. If JB News can get a license, we can get a license. Mm -hmm. Technically, we have everything in place. We have this set up here, which is phenomenally well thought out, ready to go. I could go to Bosnia, as I did the other week, connect from a camera live in the middle of the graveyard, you know, the, the Potocari commemoration, commemoration center, connect there and go live straight and connect back to studio mm -hmm. in Edinburgh. We can go anywhere. We can send a, a, a camera, a reporter with a camera, with a tripod, with, with a tablet. We can connect and have a live report from anywhere in the world, whether it's north of Scotland, from Shetland or anywhere. As long as we've got an internet connection, we can connect up. The world has changed. You, you can only look on jealously as the licence fee in, in Scotland is collected. Jack was talking about being a licence fee uh, payer. There's something like £320 million raised in Scotland. And I think, yes. um, you know, uh, that, not all of that spent in Scotland. I think it's important to point out it's only about £240 million that comes back. But you... But you but you know, it must be it must be really challenging to try and run uh, an independent, you know, a broadcast setup like you do so well on, on such a limited budget. You must look on jealously at what the BBC get here. Yeah? Well, I do, and the thing is, you know, I would love a share of it, but in the end, what I would really love is just mm -hmm. here's a wee thought. Could you imagine we had thirty five thousand subscribers paying five pounds a month? Mm -hmm. That's a bud an annual budget of two point one million. It's not a lot of money, but it's the same sort of budget that STV2 had when they were running. You know, STV sold it off to make money, but in the end, STV2 didn't run in a high and a big budget. We could run, employ 40 full-time staff on an average salary of 40K. That's the sort of figures we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But it's the engagement. The fact is, I've been preaching this. I did my figures back in 2014, I've checked them every year since. The figures still stand. I've, mm -hmm. I, I've got all this experience of broadcasting, what it takes to put a program together, how many man hours of what we need. You know, it's all there and costed. So it's it's in the end, we need to attract more people. People need to have the confidence that Scotland can do it. Mm -hmm. you, we see in social media so many times, why can Scotland not do this? They won't let us have it. Well, as I say, if GB News can get a license, I'm pretty sure we could. And it's interesting you you were saying that Ruth was talking just a few minutes ago about the fact that there's that there's very limited opportunities because of the kind of established, kind of institutionalised broadcasting setup that we have in in Scotland. It, it, just coming back to that, Ruth, do you, do you think there's a, an appetite out there for uh, you know for the for that kind of broadcasting uh, news broadcasting? Uh, set up in Scotland. Do you think that uh, there's certainly the talents? We know the creative talents are there. Do you think there's an appetite to set that up at places in addition to the likes of Broadcasting Scotland and the others that you mentioned earlier? Do you think there's a, a wider appetite to supply that? So absolutely. I, I, I won't name names because the gentleman's got quite a senior job with the BBC now. Um, but I remember uh, a fresh-faced youth who's still a senior producer, which does make me feel quite old, um, <laughs> coming back from a trip to Norway. And and he came back and it's amazing, you know, every fjord's got its own radio station. Mm -hmm. Why can't we have that? Mm -hmm. And and everybody at the time was going, yeah, why, why can't we have that? You know, why, why? But of course, the reason we can't have that is because it suits certain agents for Scotland 
not to be talking to itself, mm-hmm. for Scotland not to be having conversations which are representative, which, you know, I mean, I'm absolutely about about having balance and about having, I'm not one for echo chambers. I think the way in which democracy works best is when we talk to each other. And so I think that there's so much that we could do that would, you know, give us really enriching and inclusive programmes. I think that, that for people like Linda and Caledon Radio, ND Live Radio and, and, and others, they've got a mountain to climb because they're trying to do it on the internet. And and people often don't see that because it's on the internet. And also, sometimes there is this credibility gap because it's not on the proper big telly. Mm-hmm. And I think that what we need is to get people like Linda onto the proper big telly. I can vouch for how technically incredible Linda's setup is. I mean, I, I worked in, in radio and television for many years and I am really impressed by what she can do. I, I presented one of the programmes for her f- from, from this bedroom here while she was pres- while she was doing the sort of the production genius at a car stop, uh, like a motorway service station on the way back from, from Sarajevo. You know I mean? She, the, the tech that is out there, it is really, it is democratising. Mm-hmm the media. And I think that that's what we need. But I, I think that in many ways, Linda's being held back because she's, she's not on the big telly. I think if she was on the big telly, then people would, would pay more attention. But the thing that I would, would ask, and I, 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 I sort of put this plea out quite often to people across social media, is that if they would just go along and have a look at these programmes, often they will find People from, for example, the Yes movement or from 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 pro-indie political parties having the time and the space to express their views in a way which actually takes the conversation forward. Mm-hmm. And for activists, that provides a whole realm of of really editable clips for sharing. I mean, really powerful stuff. And I think. The SNP, to be honest, I don't think makes nearly enough of Broadcasting Scotland. There's loads of really articulate politicians that get a really good opportunity to have their say on Broadcasting Scotland. And where is the support from the SNP and the Greens? You know, really, the Scottish government has this potential to make something really powerful happen here. And and I think for whatever reason... Uh, broadcasting Scotland is not included in ways I think it should be. I would like to see Broadcasting Scotland, for example, uh, at first minister's briefings or in 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 with you know being given much more access. And I don't know why it's not because, in all honesty, I think that it's it's got the real potential, especially in an independent Scotland, mm. to be ready to go uh, as as a broadcaster for Scotland. Well, I certainly appeared on it a couple of times myself and uh, enjoyed the experience uh, greatly. I, I, I mean, obviously, broadcasting is reserved to the UK government, so it's very difficult for a Scottish government to intervene in that. Uh, I, do, I mean, I, I, would, I would just say on that, I mean, yes, it is reserved. And I, I don't expect the Scottish government to do anything. I, honestly, I don't. I think we don't need to look for that kind of help. I think we need to just get the word out. I mean, Ruth was talking about the big telly. The world, again, is we've done. We've now got the big telly is being delivered over the internet. Most people are watching the big telly now that has got an internet connection. Yeah. They've got their, if the Sky brought out their new Sky Glass mm-hmm. version or 
selling their new virgin internet connected television. This is the way it's going. We already are available. You can go to the, the what do you call it, on your telly to the browser and go to YouTube and we're there. A lot of people already do watch us on the big telly. So it, it, it's, it's how we get that out to people. And again, as I say, Ofcom, Ofcom's remit is quite simple. Does it meet our standards? Do they meet the requirements to be a broadcaster? And have they got the money to pay us to be that? And once we've got that, you know, as I say, we can do it. And it literally, the only thing that's holding us back from doing it is having the staff. Because once you've got the staff, you can then organize programs. We could literally have a 24-hour rolling news program going just now mm. with the equipment, the technology we have. You know, Sky News, you go and watch it on, on YouTube. You know, I, I've, I've mentioned to everyone who listened to me about N1 TV and the Balkans. You know, N1 TV broadcasters to, from centers in Sarajevo, Belgrade and Zagreb. They're used to dealing with, you know, conflicts that are much greater than anything we can ever think about in Scotland. They do it with fair and balanced broadcasting in a way that is a big inspiration to, to what I think we should be looking to. We've got good connections and friendships here, so, you know, it's possible to do this. Okay. Jack, I want to uh, come on to um, printed media in just a, a second, but yeah, just before we finish on broadcast media, we were told in 2014 that uh, one of the, the fear stories back then was that uh, if we voted no, we would lose... The BBC would uh, lose all the pro. You wouldn't be able to watch EastEnders. I think that was the the light. All these things uh, would happen. It, you know, but obviously, patently, that that doesn't that, that was nonsense. Then, do, do you think that there'll be a line like that coming out for the next uh, referendum, or do you think Netflix and Amazon and all Apple TV and all the rest of it have rendered that? Uh, argument just as dead and as a dodo as it should have been when when they first launched it in 2014. Well, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's fascinating. I've been listening very carefully to these last two sets of comments from Ruth and Linda, and I can hear the frustration uh, from Linda. I can I can really hear it, and I can also hear the enthusiasm from both my colleagues there. I, I don't know the, the the funding model for the BBC is completely depressing, and it's got to go. It's just it's got to go. There must be there must be alternatives, and I know that the genie's out of the bottle. I I, I recently you know just love me. I cancelled my Sky subscription recently. Um, I love TV news and I love sport and stuff like that. And the deficit, the broadcasting deficit we have in Scotland is really concerning. And you really have to hope we get this right so that people like. My two uh, fellow guests there can can really get to where they want to go. Uh, the other day, I scanned the schedule in BBC One. Uh, just so I don't know why I did it. I just did, and there was absolutely nothing relevant for me <laughs> that day. There was not. No, seriously. Now I watch a bit of sport as well, and I'll just come to sport briefly. News is one thing, and, and you know you can, we can have this debate all day about how what you know control is a terrible word. How much control or influence should government have? Um, but if you take it the wider deficit that we've got, this country watches its sports teams through the eyes of its biggest rivals. Our, commenta our commentators, the commentators, for instance, Sky put in, are English commentators with somebody beside them who knows a little bit about clubs or games or whatever. So we even watch Sky commentators saying, the Scots, them, I want to hear us and we. Mm. It's, 
Then, and that's the same with news, it's really, really a disservice to our young people, whether they're watching on big telly, online, whatever. It's a it's a complete disservice. So I complained to Sky and I pointed out that, you know, Sky Sky News Island, it's it basically you can set it up, you know, you can set it up in a drossen in a in a cupboard mm -hmm. with a camera and you can put you know, the technology's there. So I, the frustration that's been uh, coming to the four years, totally understandable. Um, the coverage is appalling. And at Christmas time and holidays, we get no news at all. We live in a country that's getting no news. Never mind the news where you are. Mm. We've got no news. So the BBC, whether it's drama, news, sport, almost totally on English source material. And it's so unhealthy in a modern democracy. And I really, really hope that uh, I mean, I've been on Caledon, I've been on Indie Live, I've featured the, the, both these guys in the Indie Mag, and um, we just do the best we can. And I've rambled on so much, I've forgotten your original. <laughs> well, I was just asking about the, uh, the the scare stories of the fact that we wouldn't get any telly after 2014, but you, what, what you've done is tackled a, a different and more important. Can I come in on that? So I was astonished that this scaremongering was allowed to float in, in any way because I lived in Malaysia for eight years and Australia for two and saw the BBC for <laughs> all the time because the BBC has got an overseas package that you can buy. There's nothing to stop people from buying the BBC's you know world output and and often that's actually the better part. I was really shocked when I came back and discovered how rubbish much of the BBC output was because I was only, you know, we were kind of seeing the, we were seeing the best bits. I think that it's really important that we understand and recognise the value of a state-funded broadcaster, though, because there are people, you know, we look at folk, they can't afford, they can't afford to turn their water on, they can't, they can't afford to have a hot shower, but... If they're if they're in, if somebody who perhaps has got you know disability or bedbound, folk are stuck in the house all day. They it's good for them to have telly that that they don't have to pay for because a lot of people are struggling. And for a lot of folk, the telly's their only company. I, I remember, you know, when my, my mum was of an age, you know, she had she had dementia, but she wasn't yet of an age where she sort of had to move in with family. You know, she was still st stubbornly sticking it out on her own in the house. And it just about broke my heart listening to her, you know, when when the guy on the telly would say goodnight and she'd say goodnight back to him because the telly was the only company that she had. I think it's really important that we have free television and that it's quality television. And every country I've lived in or have visited has a state broadcaster. But what we need to do is to bring trust back yeah. into that state broadcaster. And I think that in many ways, bizarrely, but not just the BBC, but actually all of the big players in television, apart maybe from Channel 4, they're almost doing the job for the Yes Movement for them now because there is so much, there's so much going on in England that they just can't hide. You know, the sort of England is the normalised, you know, England is the norm and Scotland is the other, as is Wales and Northern Ireland. But we're now getting so much news that is so awful that's coming out of England mm -hmm. that in some ways we're kind of able to make that comparison. You know, we look at what's happening in the NHS, we look at what's happening with the GP services, we look at what's happening with the water, I mean, England's water, the, the Tories have sold off the water, so they now expect people in England mm. to brush their teeth in, in water which recently had their bowel movements floating in it. How is that even okay? Mm. So people in Scotland 
are able to see what's happening in England. And I think perhaps the English government hasn't quite worked that bit out. The thing, they can't kind of hide how rubbish things are there now. And, and on top of that, you know, not being able to watch Scottish teams playing on the telly. There's a Scottish match on, but we've got to watch our neighbour playing instead. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times I hear people I would never have thought would be radicalised into <laughs> wanting Scottish independence. But things like that, it, it's really, it's almost like they're not trying to hide it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, can I, can I just point you up there? You're, I've actually just written something down here just as you were speaking. Uh, and I've got to tell you, you're absolutely spot on. And uh, of course, this applies to news as well, but you just made the point again about teams. The, the big thing there is that Scottish television broadcast English international matches into our homes, being watched presumably by children who don't have Sky or whatever. Um, and some of these young kids think that's natural. Um, it's so unhealthy. Uh, and I, the thing I'd written down here was, we all need at least one, well, we would only have one, stable, accurate and informative state broadcaster in an independent Scotland. And, and I totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I've got absolutely no issue with commercial news organisations, all their in, input or output, but a state broadcaster would at the very least have to concentrate on covering uh, domestic news probably, taking time to cover current affairs and provide a platform for proper debate within society. Uh, and, and also, most importantly, would improve, if it does it properly, of course, and would definitely improve our people's understanding of their world and the world out there mm-hmm. from a Scottish perspective, because right now, that doesn't exist. You know, can I just come back in here on that? Because, again, there's a couple of things that are really important here. First of all, you know, Ruth was talking about um, free-to-view, and you know, which we are. We always will be. We, we depend on people making donations or giving their five pounds a month. But that's voluntary because unless we, you know, unless we're free to view, then we're not going to get to the audience we need. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, in Scotland, when I grew up, we had programs made in Scotland for the audience in Scotland. We had drama, we had yep. sport, we had all the things that were made in Scotland. That has been reduced over the years. We've now got um, BBC One, BBC Two don't have any Gaelic content, or Scots music, traditional music. It's all on BBC Alapa. BBC Alapa is brilliant, but it is now the Gallic ghetto. Any of the traditional stuff, stick it to BBC Alapa. So it doesn't have any place on the main BBC One, BBC Two platform that it used to do. Therefore, people don't see themselves in the main national broadcast channels. This has been removed and removed over the years to the point where there's virtually nothing that identifies who we are as Scots on BBC One or BBC Two, and what we tend to get now is the new BBC channel repeats will fill up the opt-outs in the BBC One, BBC Two channel output. Mm-hmm. So whether it's state-funded or whatever it's funded, we need to have a broadcaster that is absolutely fair, balanced, trusted. It needs to have funding that's guaranteed in some way. But whatever happens beyond that, um, you look at so many other countries, Denmark, five, six channels, Ireland. They have the channels that are there. They produce programs. They're producing programs that are selling around the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the success of Danish drama. Mm-hmm. You know, the Scandi, the, the, the Scandi noir. Why could Scotland not be doing that? I mean, to a degree, we can do that. We've got a lot of very talented production companies, but they're making little programs for the BBC or other, or mostly Netflix now. 
you have this thing where the BBC with a left and shift to have, you know, programs that are BBC Scotland productions that are produced by a company that with a letterbox in Scotland, but the production work is all done down in England. The filming is in England. It's made for an audience in England. It has nothing to do with Scotland. Like, trust me, I'm a doctor, which the, I remember the former head of BBC Scotland saying how proud he was of the programme. Well, you know, what has that got to do with Scotland? It was a programme made for an audience, not in Scotland. It's very interesting, though, Linda, because I'm very interested in post-colonialism. And having lived in both Malaysia and Australia, I've been lucky enough to to spend a lot of time um, with people who actually really understand what that's all about. And one of the things that, that happened in Malaysia was that the language, the culture, everything that identified Malaysians as being other than, than the UK, sort of Mother England or, or Mother Britain, um, was removed. And I think that there are many parallels here. I think that that has been happening for many years. You know, our language, our culture, our dress, it has been removed, but not only removed, made a source of derision so that in some way we're supposed to feel ashamed. Um, you know, we're supposed to be disconnected. I have friends the same age as me who were given the belt for speaking in Scots or in Shetlandic yep. or Orcadian in class. So everything about who we are and what makes us a cultural entity is not only being removed but it's something which actually might make you punished. So there's a long way to go, perhaps, to, to bring Scots back. And it only took 100 years for Scots to be removed as being the norm. You know, yeah. Scots tongue being removed and people feeling almost ashamed as, you know, well, if you don't speak proper English, you won't get a job. If you speak Scots, you know, I mean, how many people feel confident to speak Scots in the workplace? And look what's happened to Gaelic. So I think that... In order for us to regain pride in our culture, we have to hear the voices, we have to hear, we have to see ourselves. And I'm really impressed by some of the work that's been done by the likes of um, Dr. Michael Demstrom, the Scots Language Society, and a lot of work being done by the likes of Emma Harper with a cross-party group looking at Scots and, and Urweiss and, uh, um, you know, no. just remarkable people doing a lot of work. But I think that in order for us to have a sense of self again, we have to see ourselves back on the back on the telly and see ourselves, see our voices represented. But that is one of the reasons why we don't see that. It's because because most larger bodies that wish to control a smaller body, the way they do that is by creating a sense of isolation, creating pockets of isolation so that people aren't connecting with each other. And the reason why the Yes movement is so strong, and I think the reason why the National Yes Network, for example, works, is because we're talking to each other. Mm. We're connected. Now, my son, he's 20 years old. He would no more spend time with his old ma out in a march than, than you can imagine. You know, it's just not happening. But he has got his independence movement happening on TikTok and on Snapchat. And he'll come through. See, when Rishi Sunak the other day turned around and said that he was going to send you know, people who weren't pro-Britain to re-education camps. He came stomping through within minutes going, he's going to send you to prison now. <laughs> you know, I mean, he gets it. And there's a whole wealth of youngsters that are finding new ways of speaking to each other and they want to reclaim their voices. So I, I'm actually quite optimistic. I think that 
that what we are seeing is the final death throes of England as an empire. And and I look forward to the day when the likes of Anna Sarwar feels able to congratulate both Pakistan <laughs> and India <laughs> and then Scotland as being independent nations. Well, just bringing it back to, um, you know, the general media just now, since 2014, we've seen the, the growth of lots of groups and obviously in different uh uh, publications we've been talking about some and obviously you guys represent uh, a, a lot of these different outlets uh, it, where do you see the future of uh, written and uh, other media uh, going after independence what do you think with there is to offer in in scotland for that i'll start with you jack yeah well i'm still in the after independence uh, let's be really confident here we're, we're, we're going to win this uh, we just have to get to that point but i think we'll experience a renewed the appetite for news. Um, I, th I think for people on here as well, people will be interested in the development of a newly independent country and independence, and probably at least for the following decade, will be very good business for media of all types, I think. Um, I mean, demand for updates, analysis, and probably not like nothing we've seen before, because I actually remember, oh, before 2014, I remember a debate or some kind of debate, I think it was in front of a fireside or something, I don't know if you might, you'd remember this. I'm terrible for these things, but there was Alex Salmon at the time and uh, Douglas England. Uh, what's his name? Oh, Paisley MP lost his seat. Oh, I should know this. I'm for Paisley. What's the mental block? Douglas <laughs> Alexander. Thank you. Douglas Alexander, Thank you. yeah. See how easy it is to forget Douglas Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> Very easy. I remember Alex Salmon pressing Douglas Alexander on broadcasting and he squirmed and, and I remember turning to my wife Elaine and saying they will hang on to broadcasting and the media for as long as they possibly can because that is the way people speak to each other at the moment. The good thing is now with digital technology, blah blah blah, online things have changed a wee bit and the youngsters find ways as it's just been said to find a way through it. So international demand for Scottish news will, uh, that'll, that'll soar as well because all nations are want to keep up to date with what's going on in, in Scotland. I think we've got many, many friends out there. So I think what's really important though is that there's a diversity of media, um, traditional, printed, social, uh, and it's very representative of the, the country that it's serving. Uh, but we do need voices from right across Scotland and across the spectrum of opinion for the media to really do its job properly. It will generate work, it will generate interest, I'm generating news by itself almost. Now I have a great confidence that this is something that we as a society will actually excel at. Because I think the core underneath all of this kind of cloud of keeping us slightly separated from ourselves, it will be blown away by independence. And these new groups and broadcasters will definitely come into that space. Well, I'd certainly agree with you, Jack, I, that we'll win independence this time. But to do that, uh, we need to obviously make sure that... Uh, that people are, are mobilised, that we win the arguments, that we take everything forward. Uh, Ruth, wouldn't you agree that, that it's equally important, in addition to the media, that we have smaller localised groups doing the, the kind of groundwork, the footwork, if you like, in communities across uh, the, the country? You, you've been involved in a lot of that, haven't you? I've done my fair share of it, I would say. It, I've been very lucky in that some of the activism that I have done has taken me around and met groups around Scotland. And everywhere I go, I meet people who have got a very 
deep sense of the integrity that they want to see taken forward in Scotland. And I think that's that's what makes me think we're going to win. And I think we're going to win in a way which is going to be very, very powerfully positive for our country and for the people of our country. Because the people that I meet in yes groups around Scotland, they are doing this because they have a, an absolute conviction that social justice is at the core of an independent Scotland. And they want to do so overwhelmingly, the people I meet, they're giving up their time for nothing other than making sure we have the end of food banks, making sure that we're able to to express ourselves on, on an international stage, making sure that businesses work. You know, I mean, to me, that's that's the reason why I spend far too much of my life working for Scottish independence, because I think that we can be better as a nation. And I am very optimistic because the people that I meet who are engaged with the Scottish independence movement are overwhelmingly positive and inclusive and outward looking. And they want Scottish independence because they want an honest nation. And I think that that's what will take us forward. And I think that's what will end up, hopefully, once we get our independence, with a nation which is decentralised, which has many voices speaking to each other and speaking to ourselves and speaking to others from radio stations, from newspapers. Obviously, regulation is important so that we have an ethical infrastructure. But I think that a, a, I think that the kind of Scotland I see from the places that I've gone and the people I've spoken to is the kind of Scotland I want to live in and I want my kids to grow up in. There's a lot of people that will chime with, uh, Ruth. How, how can people that are listening that maybe not been active or not been involved, how, how can they get involved? How can they, they help out? If you want to get involved and you want to get active and you're not sure where to start, contact your local YES group. If you're not sure where to find them, go to the National YES Network. We've got uh, an amazing interactive map of all the local groups that we can find. Um, many of the local groups are in touch with us and are, and are involved with us. Um, but even those groups that aren't involved with us, we've still got notes on how you can find them. And groups like, for example, the YES Bikers, if you're keen on, if you're, if you're a pensioner for Indy or you're NHS for YES or you're a farmer for YES or you're a YES Biker, all of those links are on the National YES Network. If you're not sure how to how to find us, then just email the National YES Network. You can find us online. Um, and I think the thing is, for folk who aren't very sure about how to get involved with activism, it can be quite intimidating, you know, the thought of going out and leafleting or speaking to complete strangers. You could go along to a YES meeting or you can find information online and then just talk to your friends or find somebody that you know who is pro-indie and just get chatting. I mean, I think that's the thing. We win this one conversation at a time. You don't have to be part of a mass movement, but for sure, getting involved and getting active with friends mm -hmm. makes a difference. And, and as far as I'm concerned, most of the yes groups I've come across, they're just indie pals you don't know you've got yet. Uh, I'll, I'll come to you, Linda. You've recently run a really successful uh, fundraising campaign um, uh -huh. and uh, you've got a lot of people kind of involved in uh, helping to raise thousands of pounds to help keep broadcasting uh, Scotland running. 
how, how can people continue to help with that? The, are the things that you can, you mentioned you've got a subscription thing where people pay five pounds yeah. a month. What else can they do? Well, I mean, the core thing we need is, you know, we are based on the idea that people who like us basically donate in some form. And the best way of doing that is to sign up, register, do the five pounds a month. Mm -hmm. It's quite simple to do on our website. But the beauty of it is those who can afford it, if they sign up five pounds a month, like I say, the, the more we get, if we get to this critical mass of numbers, then we become sustainable. Just now we're not sustainable. Just now we did this crowdfunder because if we didn't do it, we wouldn't have been here. We managed to, to save ourselves, but we're still well short. We still, you know, got this problem of always needing more mm -hmm. because, you know, electricity, small businesses is yeah. one of the things we keep talking programs. I We just had to pay two and a half thousand for three months mm -hmm. and got another 900 pound bill in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the cost of electricity for doing this. It's massive and it's growing. Everything, the costs are continuous. Mm -hmm. But but the thing is, we can't say, oh, you've got to pay to watch us because then we're just talking to ourselves. People are convinced. We need to be talking to this wider possible audience, which basically means we have to be free to view, which therefore means those who like what we do, those who've seen what we do, those who want to expand what we do, have to tell their friends, tell as many people, please sign up, please, you know, as I say, if we get to this idea, 35,000 subscribers doesn't seem like a lot. If you take the notion there's a million people signed up to Netflix in Scotland, mm. you know, but if you think if we could find 35,000 subscribers, now I know a political party that's got three times as many members, <laughs> you know, so basically for those who can afford it, that five pounds a month isn't a lot. Mm. Maybe a few and fewer people can afford it in these days with the, you know, the cost of living crisis. Mm. Even, like I say, 10,000 subscribers, we could employ 20 full-time equivalent staff on the real living wage. Mm. That would be enough to do a 12-hour a day, um, which you got run, running a uh, rolling news program. Yeah. We could do that with that kind of money. That's £500,000 a year or thereabouts, mm. £600,000 a year. A you bargain know, compared to some of the uh, costs we're hearing about earlier in terms of the money that's raised to fund the likes of the BBC and so forth. Well, b before I ask you all what you would like to see in, in independent Scotland, just want to ask one question from your perspective about uh, the media just now. What what do you think, how do you think the people of Scotland are viewing the continued refusal of Westminster to recognise the fact that the people of Scotland have got a right to vote on their future? How do you think that comes across uh, in the media? I think a lot of the stuff that has been happening hasn't been sinking in, hasn't been registering because of the way the media reports it. Mm -hmm. I think there will come a time when it gets to the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court is going to say yes or no. Mm -hmm. I have an opinion on it. Broadcasting Scotland has no opinion on it. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. but, the, but the, the Supreme Court will say yes or no. Whichever it says is going to put the cat among the pigeons. If it says yes, then the referendum can go ahead now. The, the, uh, you know, Westminster parties can decide whether or not they want to participate. You know, they can, the people who are against independence can say, I'm not going to vote or not. But if it's a coordinated refusal to participate, it's not going to look very good uh, on the thing in Scotland. I still think there'll be sufficient majority will participate to make the vote credible. I think if, on the other hand, the Supreme Court says no, 
they're basically saying that, you know, you then turn the question in, how then does England become an independent country? Because if England wants to become an independent country, does it then go to Westminster and say, can we have a referendum? And what becomes then the de facto English Parliament has to authorise it. And given that they will have voted for parties that represent that wish. So, so, so basically there is a balance and a fairness in there that if one nation in the UK is not able to make their own choice, then I think that you're then at the situation where it, it then becomes part of international recognition that the, the right to self-determination is no longer you know, something that's a voluntary union and therefore it has to be looked at from a, an external point of view. And Jack, it's not easy. Yeah, and Jack, what do, what do you think of the optics of this continual uh, refusal of uh, democracy? What, what do you think of the optics are like on that? Well, how are people... We asked how how are people viewing it? How are they reacting to it? I think it's I think things have changed. I think this is this is like never before, Drew. I joined the SNP, you know, when there was about twelve of us in the party. So for for all of these years since I was sixteen, all we've done is tell people why we should have independence and we've asked them to listen to us and we've talked at them, talked at them, talked at them. But now People are actually living what we've been saying. Mm. They're actually living it. They're living it through the cost of living. They're living it, you know, when they put food on the table, when they go to the supermarket, when they see Scottish goods branded as, I never use the word, British. They they, they are living it. So I, the, your original question at the start there, I think they're quietly annoyed. They may not be angry yet, but I think they're quietly annoyed. And I think that's enough to push enough people over that line. Um, you know, things have moved on greatly since 2014. Uh, the optics are terrible as far as uh, any right-thinking Scottish person is concerned. I mean, to be told that you can't ask yourself, you live in a question that can't ask it. You live in a country that can't ask himself a question. Now, there's something. You know, Anis Sarah yesterday, oh, congratulations to India. You know, super duper. They apply every standard to everyone else. Yeah. And they don't lie to us. And the tragedy of Ukraine, you know, Boris has been out there saying how we're protecting democracy. Look, people are losing their lives for democracy. The Supreme Court's precedent, you know, it's a hard one to turn around and say, well, it's you've got precedent, you're not getting that again, you know, and why should we get it anyway? It's ours. Mm. It's ours. They will, we will find a way. Don't ask me, because if I told you, they should you. Believe me, <laughs> We will find a way. People are living it and people don't like what they're experiencing on all sorts of levels. I think that Liz Trust was playing to her audience. I think that she said what she said because she knew it would appeal to the kind of flexing gamins who want to think that Scotland is theirs. Yeah. And so she's not she's not the brightest bulb in the box, I wouldn't say, but she knew what she was saying. And you have to ask yourself why did she think that that would win her votes? Why did she think that flexing um, over Scotland and, and Scottish democracy and, and sort of disallowing Scottish democracy, why did she think that would appeal to her own base? And I think that in many ways, that has helped alienate a large chunk of her voters up in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Because I come across Tory party members here who they 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 talk about being 
British and proudly Scottish. And now they're faced with a government in Westminster that is making them choose. And I think that that's very interesting. To me, it's almost as though, we've well, heard Douglas Ross complaining about it in the past, it's almost as though the, the Conservatives are forgetting the Unionist part of their, of their title. And I think that that's intentional. It, it's almost as though they kind of hope Scotland stays, but they don't really care what happens next because they're now just, their world is diminishing. I mean, and I guess in a, in a, at a time when we're facing droughts in England, they're kind of like the little frog in an ever diminishing pool of water. You know, they're kind of, they just want to shore up their little base. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure that they particularly care anymore in London what the Scots think. Uh, I think that if we, if for whatever reason tragedy happens and we don't vote for independence this time, mm -hmm. we're an afterthought. We're an afterthought to what's happening in England. And they'll be delighted to have kept us because look at all the water we've got, for example. But I don't think they really care anymore. I think in Scotland, what this is doing is alienating a significant section of the soft no base. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, it's almost as though you know the, the, the veils are being torn from before people's eyes. Mm. They can't. It is the, the Tories aren't hiding it anymore. Keir Starmer is has taken the Labour Party so far to the right that Tory Party members uh, and Tory Party politicians who are defecting aren't even taking the traditional route of going via the Lib Dems. They're just hopping straight over to <laughs> Labour because Labour is so far to the right now that yep. that really is kind of like you know I, I feel like I'm changeable. Yeah. Well, I'm looking through the window at home farm, and you know, from the pigs to the men, and 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 who can tell the difference? Mm -hmm. So, I think that in some ways it is as though we're already there; we just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. So, I would like to see before too many more people suffer. Mm -hmm. I would like to see Scotland regaining its sense of self. And I mean, I very much view this in the way in which. Uh, a, a partner within an abusive situation does, and I say this as something. My, my first, my first marriage was appalling. I was, uh, I, and I actually, I actually said to my wonderful second husband that I felt as though, when listening to the Jeremy Vine show clip that my former colleague sent me uh, in 2013, I said I almost feel as though I should be be given compensation from the no side for post traumatic stress because <laughs> listening to the arguments that are being made about why Scotland should stay, it actually really reminded me of my first abusive husband. You know, the whole, you're nothing without me, you can't do anything without me, you know. And actually, after I got rid of the loser, my life soared. And I kind of think that Scotland's going to be like that. You know, it kind of feels like we're in a coercive control situation. And once we dump our abusive partner, we're going to soar. So I hope that people see that for really the potential that we have. Okay, well, my final question, and we'll continue with you, uh, Ruth, on this, uh, that post-independence, if you could, uh, you know, have a, a policy you want to take forward or change a, an existing policy that we are currently stuck with under the Westminster system, what would it be and why? It would be localised government working within a framework that is sort of almost like a large cooperative feeding into a national government mm -hmm. with everybody on a universal basic income so that we get rid of poverty. 
I want us to eradicate poverty and I want us to be in a nation where everybody has access to democracy. I think that losing the town councils and going into these ever larger behemoths mean that people feel democracy is distant from them and politics is distant from them. Mm. To me, politics is the way that we live our lives. It's, it's the choices that we make on a daily basis. And it is about the ethics of daily life. Mm. So I would like to see democracy brought back to the grassroots, people given real local power, which feeds into a centralised government that actually listens to them and that we have the luxury of being able to survive on a daily basis uh, so we can actually think about the kind of country we want to live in. And Linda, what would be uh, what would be your thoughts? Difficult for me to say because, as I say, Broadcasting Scotland doesn't have opinions. Linda Graham might have, but then again, <laughs> if you're representing Broadcasting Scotland, what I would say is um, I think the idea that the way democracy is done, we've got a Scottish Parliament which was set up by defined in a way that was suited and aimed at sort of almost preventing. The idea there would ever be an SNP majority, that didn't work for them. We've got a, a voting system which is quite good, but maybe we need to look at the grassroots structure of how, sort of what Ruth was saying, how do we do we structure our politics? Maybe the, the principles of subsidiarity and getting more things back to the local grassroots level, mm-hmm. but then at different levels for what things are done. But as I say, these are for people who've got policy initiatives, not for broadcasters. Broadcasters are here to report yeah. yeah, and Jack, what, what would your thoughts be? Well, I'll uh, I'll move away from the politics here because I I was going to go down the route of the better connections with local councils, etc. I think I'd introduce legislation to make uh, all discernible national interest events free to view and listen to. Mm-hmm. The, to me, to my mind, that would allow any person of any income bracket to feel connected and part of the wider community. Uh, very quickly, if you take the Commonwealth Games coverage, I, I saw one thing there. You know, there was a, like 11 English items between a Scot was even mentioned. Uh, and then, of course, you possibly saw the arguments over terminology that put me Tories getting upset between the home soil. I mean, for goodness sake. If you're not a, you know, so mum don't play more to the green up and play in the home soil. It's ridiculous. So I, I would go for that because I think if we, if we had dedicated coverage of sports, and major politically and cultural events too. And in independent Scotland, I think a media policy like that would definitely help uh, inform, educate and uh, engage uh, with all of society. And most importantly, nobody would feel left out. Could I just come back on that? Of course you can. Yeah, I just, on that media policy is probably where I would want to comment. But again, you know, I don't want to do it from self-interest. So rather than saying what I would want, what I wouldn't want is, is too much external ownership. Mm. So I'll look at where, where media within Scotland is owned. So people who have not got Scotland's best interest at heart, I have never seen a media as dysfunctional as in Scotland. You know, we, yep. we have people, you know, when you have any other country, you have political parties, you have newspapers or, you know, media groups that support one or other. It's normal. You get a balance. Yep. Scotland is imbalanced. We have one main um, newspaper which is pro-independence and the rest are against it mm-hmm. and to some degree and some of the papers who were more balanced in the past have lost their sense of balance and it's now full attack mode and these are ones that are nominally Scottish based but virtually the ownership 
the ownership is all overseas and there is no interest in, in the owners from doing the best for Scotland. And that's even applies to the one that's pro-independence as well. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, Jack, Linda, Ruth, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Scotland's Choice. Thanks for listening to Scotland's Choice. You can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot and you can watch the full-length videos on YouTube. If you can share this podcast and our videos, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. I'm Drew Hendry, and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. Mm-hmm.